Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Whenever there is a gun-related issue or story, of course, we turn to Dr. John Lott. He's the president of the newly formed Crime Prevention Research Center. He's an economist. He has held research and teaching positions at the University of Chicago, Yale University, Stanford, UCLA, Wharton, and Rice He was the chief economist at the United States Sentencing Commission during the 1988-89 period, and he's been on foxnews.com as well. Noted author, one of his books, More Guns, Less Crime, bringing back John Lott for a couple hours here on Coast to Coast. Hey, John, welcome back. Great to talk to you, George. You too. So gun sales down for the second year in a row. Why? Actually, that's not quite right. Uh, We reached a peak of about 27 million uh, background checks in in 2016, and it went down in 2017, but it actually went up uh, this last year by about 4%. So it's almost the same. It's the second highest year. Last year was the second highest number of background checks that we've had. It's a little bit below, about 5% below what it was in 2016. But 2016, with the election and stuff, uh, a lot of people were very concerned that uh, Hillary Clinton could win the election and change completely the direction of the Supreme Court. And uh, and I think the sales reflected that. But it really hasn't changed very much. Some of the media, they're calling it the Trump gun slump. What is that? Well, look, <laughs> I think the media, in many different ways, wants to make it appear that people don't want to have guns so much anymore. One, right, one example right. of how they do this is uh, they report polls that indicate that the percentage of households uh, owning guns has been declining. There's really only one poll. Uh, it's called the General Social Survey uh, by the National Opinion Resource Corporation uh, that has shown a drop, and they show about 32% of American households own a gun that's down from about over 50% uh, a few decades ago. But there are lots of other surveys that show a different pattern. Last year, there were two surveys that came out, one by the Wall Street Journal NBC News, which showed about 47% of American households uh, owned a gun, and you had uh, a few other percent that refused to answer the question. And uh, another one by Monmouth University, which showed about 46% of households owned a gun and 7% refused to do it. And even those which are underestimating very likely the percent of households that own guns, uh, I'll give you one simple reason for that, and that is if you look at married men and married women, married women say that they own a gun in the home uh, at about 15 percentage points less than married men do. Now, it could be that married men have a gun there and the wives just don't know about it. I suppose that's possible. Uh, that could be possible, yeah. Right. But another possibility is that uh, women, when you have some stranger that calls up, uh, just are more reticent to go and tell somebody whether they have a gun. And, and possibly even more important is that these surveys usually aren't done at the same time every year. They're invariably done uh, after you've had some type of mass public shooting. And it, so it could be right. that uh, women, right when you're like in a week or so, right after, uh, you know, the Parkland shooting last year, uh, when, which is when uh, 
NBC uh, Wall Street Journal survey was done, might be more reticent than men simply because it's more controversial at that time with all the news coverage to say that they have a gun in the home. If you if you were to assume that married women and married own had guns in the home at the same rate that married men do, you'd add about seven percent or so on to gun ownership, and it would indicate that more than half of American households had a gun. You know, I've known you for years, John. You are an advocate of responsible gun ownership, and I'm sure you, as well as I, cringe whenever some whack job like Stephen Paddock shoots up uh, a crowd of people and, you know, kills 58 people. I mean, that's unheard of. But uh, those, those cases, even though they're dramatically large when they happen, don't happen all the time. And a lot of legislators use episodes like that to try to control gun ownership, don't they? Right. Well, I mean, everyone wants to try to get rid of those things. The question is, what type of policies are going to do it? Uh, I'll give you one example since you bring this up. Just uh, less than two weeks ago, uh, the Democrats in Congress introduced the Gabby Giffords bill, uh, named after uh, the congresswoman who was shot and, and wounded, wounded yeah. back in uh, 2011. And uh, her, the bill that was named after her is going to uh, impose background checks on all private transfers, uh, as sales as well as gifts or anything else. So if a father gives a gun to his son, uh, they'd have to go through a background check in order to do it. The thing is, it wouldn't have stopped her shooting. It would have nothing to do with it. The person didn't obtain a gun through a private transfer. It wouldn't have stopped one mass public shooting this century. But they use it as an excuse to go and pass another type of regulation that they want to have. And uh, unfortunately, that is true for most of these types of gun control laws. Well, and what's the difference, John, between this so-called bill, universal background checks, and the background checks that are being conducted right now when you go to buy a firearm. Right. Well, right now, if you go to any type of dealer, uh, whether it's a dealer at a shop or a dealer at a gun show or anything else, you have to have any place in the country, you have to go through the federal NICS system, uh, these background checks. And, uh, uh, if you're just going to transfer a gun to somebody, you have to pay a fee. Otherwise, it's in the price of a gun. What this does is um, this would make it so not just when you buy it from a dealer, but if you, buy, if you obtain a gun, whether it's a gift or whether it's a purchase from anybody, you know, even within a family, uh, you'd have to have a background check. Or even if you're going to lend somebody a gun, uh, if you're going to, lend somebody a gun, you know, a, let's say a woman friend of yours is being stalked, it's a Saturday night, uh, and she calls you up fearful and you want to lend you her gun, uh, you'd have to do a background check before you could lend it to her. Um, so that's, that's the change that hmm. this type of law would uh, produce. Now let me ask you two quick questions with that. If I lent that gun to somebody and they committed a crime or shot somebody, who's liable, me or them? Well, I mean, even if they used it in self-defense, if you had this type of background checks on private transfers and you hadn't done that, you know, she had called you up late at night and there was no 
dealer to go to at that time to go and lend her the gun, uh, you know, you would be committing crime. Even if, even if, and she would also, in terms of accepting the gun, now maybe the actual defensive gun use would be deemed perfectly proper, uh, viewed as justifiable self-defense, but the act of you giving her the gun without the background check and her taking it, both of you would be committing felonies. I'm not sure I would lend a gun to somebody. Would you? Well, it depends. I mean, surely there are people that you know well. Uh, they may have reasons why they don't have a gun. And, and it depends on what you think the threat is. If you, let's say you know uh, a woman friend of yours and you know the person that she's having trouble with, you may believe that she's really in danger. Mm-hmm. You may offer to stay there or to have her stay at your place. But let's say uh, that's not practical for some reason. I can think of situations where somebody that I trust, uh, you know, uh, and I believe that they understand what they're doing with the gun, I would, I would lend it to them. I mean, it depends on the circumstances. John Lott with us. We're going to take calls with John next hour here as we talk about guns, gun control. Universal background checks. I mean, everybody I know wants to stop criminals right. from getting guns. Would would universal background checks do that, or would they hurt other people in society? Yeah. I mean, I wish, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Everybody wants to stop criminals or other people who are dangerous from getting guns. The problem is background checks aren't going to be a magic bullet. I mean, I'll give you an example. We have background checks on people getting opioids, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't, if it's you're going to go epidemic. and get an opioid from uh, a pharmacist, you have to have a prescription and show your ID, a government-issued photo ID, before they can give it to you. Now, I don't think anybody believes that the background check system for drugs is stopping people from getting opioids in this country or, or other types of drugs. You know, so, and, and one thing people have to realize with regard to getting illegal drugs, it's this, essentially the same as by getting illegal guns is essentially the same as getting illegal drugs. Drug dealers have guns, you know, and the big source for obtaining illegal guns are drug dealers. And so, uh, you know, it's not like a drug dealer, if one drug dealer steals another drug dealer's drugs, that they can go to the police and say, can you help us get them back? They have to essentially set up their own little militaries to protect that very valuable property that they have, and so they have guns. To, to do that. And, and um, you know, so, uh, you know, I wish it was simple, but you're going to be no more successful in stopping them from getting guns than you are drugs. If I could click my fingers and cause all illegal drugs to disappear from the United States and all guns, how long do you think it is before illegal drugs would start coming back into the country? couple hours. Well, I mean, if you're in El Paso, maybe 20 minutes or yeah. something like that. And how long would it be before the drug gangs would be bringing in the weapons in order to protect that valuable property? You look at Mexico, for example. Mexico, since 1972, has had one gun store in the country. It's located in Mexico City. It's run by the military. It's very difficult to be able to go and buy a gun. Probably just 1% of the population uh, owns a gun in Mexico legally. The, the strongest, most powerful uh, rifle that you can buy in Mexico is a 22 caliber gun. That's not the types of guns that drug dealers are using there in the country. Right. And, right. you know, but yet Mexico 
has a, has a murder rate that's five times higher than what we have here in the United States. And drug gangs, they bring in drugs from around the world, kind of in transit, to bring them into the United States. And they obtain weapons, not only from the Mexican military, but from sources all around the world there. I mean, I wish, I wish it was easy. The problem that you have to realize for a lot of these regulations is that you may primarily be making it difficult for law-abiding citizens. So when they vote on the Gabby Giffords bill in Congress, which I'm sure they will soon, Washington, D.C. is one place that already has these background checks on private transfers. It costs $125 to privately transfer a gun in Washington, D.C. They may not stop you or I from being able to go and obtain a gun, but the very people that my research finds who benefits the most from having guns, poor blacks who live in high-crime urban areas, the people who are most likely to be victims of violent crime, and because they are most likely to be victims, benefit the most from having the option to go and protect themselves, $125 may make the difference between whether they're legally able to go and buy a gun to protect themselves and their families. But it's, it's even worse than that. You know, we frequently hear the claim that there are 3 million dangerous or prohibited people that have been stopped from buying guns because of background checks. And that's, that's simply false. What they should say is that there have been 3 million initial denials, and virtually all of those something around 99% of those are false positives. They're simply, you know, it's one thing to stop a felon from buying a gun. Right. It's another thing to stop somebody simply because they have a name similar to a felon from buying a gun. Felons are not stupid enough to go through a background check to go and get a gun, even though they're pretty dumb. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.